Good afternoon. Today is Tuesday, June the 4th, 2019. My name is David Prairie, and I have a chance today to have a conversation with one of my best friends and uh, one of probably my longest uh, ongoing friendships, uh, and that is with Jeremy Mathias. Jeremy, I'm really glad that we get a chance to talk today and uh, and possibly even have a few people listen into our conversation. I am very excited to be here. We used to get to do this more frequently before I moved to another part of the country, and every time I come back, when we get the opportunity to do this, it's always exciting, and not a lot of planning has gone into this one, so hopefully we'll be able to uh, keep up the conversation well off the cuff and not have too many awkward uh, um, pauses. Yes. Yes, that'll be our goal today. That'll be one of our goals today. Um, Jer- Jeremy's always been kind of a comedian in in, in progress. <laughs> so, I'm going to go ahead and apologize so we got, for all so the we bad got jokes. that out of the way now. Uh, but, but that kind of sets the stage for surely more of what's to come. Um, yeah, so you, you have, um, normally when we have these conversations, um, this is actually the first time where I guess you've been on my podcast. That is true. But I have been on yours. And I guess at one time, although you, you really kind of headed up what we called the Brick Room podcast. Yes, we all sort of shared, shared the spotlight on that one. I think I think that's right. Um, so if you want to check out, are those still available? Could people listen to those if they wanted to? I believe they are. So the I Brick Room so. podcast, but then also the Jeremy Mathias podcast. Yeah, which is mostly an archive at this point, as I have not done much posting recently. The only really active and thriving one is is your podcast. So, well, active. Yeah. I don't know thriving. Although I did pick up a new follower uh, last night. There you we, go. we had dinner with Stephen, and he subscribed, and so I have another. I have another subscriber. I will consider that thriving. I, I, that's probably as thriving as it will ever get. Um, now, with your with the Brick Room podcast, that mainly came about because you and I, along with Nathaniel Haston, um, as we were serving as youth leaders here at Grace. Uh, and we are we are uh, at Grace Baptist Church now, having this conversation uh, in Chattanooga, and uh, we were serving as youth leaders together, and so that was kind of our way to approach. A, a, I wouldn't say a wide variety of topics, but but an a, an assortment of topics, especially as they related to youth ministry. And in that sense, I guess it was not too different from what I'm attempting to do here. It just was it included the three of us. Yes, and I believe the origin of it was really that we would gather often in the youth room and discuss these topics anyways amongst ourselves. And in our narcissism, we thought, wouldn't everybody love to hear these wonderful conversations that we have? And so we thought we'll record it and share it for the world so they can know how great our conversations are. And and then we came to realize pretty soon after that that we had one regular listener, and it was Nathaniel's mom. We love you, Renee. And and then we... uh, and although I will say that um, much after we've recorded them, I, I remember Josh Myrick telling me that he came across them and I guess went back and listened to maybe all of them and just 
I thought, Josh, that would that would have been a lot more relevant in your life if you'd listened to them when we were recording them, not after you graduated. Yes, they were. Several of them are timeless, but several of them were were very situationally oriented, such as talking about upcoming events yes. that we were putting on. That's right. So, not much relevance to those. And with your podcast, with the Jeremy Matthias podcast, what 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 primarily was your realm of expertise in those? Well, with those, I went a lot more uh, lighthearted, went kind of pop culture reference. Uh, we did the Brick Room podcast and the Brick Room blog, and those yeah. were very, uh, very profound at times. And I think the level, the quality, especially on the blog of the writing, because you and Nathaniel are both uh, super intelligent. And so I, I just remember it used to take a lot out of me trying to come up with those blogs, and you just felt like you couldn't do a bad one because everybody else is doing such good work. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, I started, when I moved away, I was like, okay, I want to do my own blog and my own podcast that I don't feel any pressure to be serious. So I was like, if I write about movies and sports, it doesn't matter if it's terrible. So <laughs> that's what I started doing just to produce more uh, and not feel any weight of like, I've got to actually really source this. I've got to really make sure it's good. So uh, yeah, I went pop culture just because it was, it was easier and lighter and not the responsibility. So the podcast you said has been inactive at least for some time so has yeah so has the the blog i but, have not been producing any content well but have you but do you do writing that maybe the rest of us wouldn't see i know you typically write just for your own self-reflection i yeah i would say more this past year than anything it's been uh i guess journaling or a sort of diary of sorts yeah. um i usually will do it on my computer i don't do a lot of writing by hand anymore although occasionally yeah, uh, that's been more sort of personal reflection, uh, reflective writing, and not stuff that I share. Um, although sometimes I'll go back and read over it and think I could make something to share from those thoughts, but I haven't. Yeah. So, so our friendship actually goes all the way back to probably kindergarten. I think is how we usually would document it. We it's were... been long enough that I can't even remember the origins. Right. So it's around that time. And so we grew up together here at Grace um, in in the church. Well, you at the you at the academy, and I I actually was here uh, for kindergarten at the academy, and then, but but primarily our friendship happened through the church here, uh, all the way up through um, through middle and high school in the youth group together, and then, um, and then after high school we both stayed local enough for college. I actually was here in Chattanooga. You were up the road at Dayton, but, but we're still, even at that time, Grace was uh, your home church. You it attended was, here yes. most weekends, if I recall, even in college. I did. And so we maintained, obviously, friendships uh, through that. And then, and then after college, you got involved here. What are, what are some of the roles you've fulfilled here at Grace or that you did fulfill here? After college, uh, for years I worked at the Children's Center, yep. uh, which I'd even worked there through college, and and that was sort of a home base. I helped coach junior high boys basketball, which again I did for a number of years with you. Yep. There's the first couple of years we were we were separate teams because they had a different team for each grade, and then finally they integrated them all together, and, yeah. and we got to coach them all together, and those were some of the best the best of times. And then. Uh, Working with the youth group under you, I think I started uh, a couple years after you and Nathaniel had done it, maybe a year or two, and uh, then, you know, the timeline, it, it all gets sort of warped in my mind, 
eight years or so we worked together with the youth group, and uh, I think that's that's about it. Yeah, yeah. You you um, helped out in a a variety of ways. You know, not just obviously with the um, the podcast, but but just as a as a small group leader, as a as a coach, like you mentioned, and um, but then also just as a teacher. Um, filling in for various Bible studies or Sunday school classes or, you know, youth youth services, that kind of thing. And I know you were well-respected, not just by other leaders, but I know students benefited a lot from you. And um, it's interesting still to have conversations with students who can, believe it or not, who can actually recall specific messages that you have given and, and that I mean, that other leaders have given too, but uh, it's it's always neat to hear of hear from students of what they remember about you and your impact on their lives. So even though you've been kind of out of the circle here for a little while, I know that your impact here is still felt uh, by many. So so I think you invested well here. Well, that's you know good to hear. It's certainly the hope when you're when you're here. You don't you don't think of it directly like man. I hope years from now people are are still affected by me or talking about me but obviously the reason you do it is you want lives to be affected and uh you know I don't ever want the opportunity to go by when any ever I'm complimented on my time here is to say it w- I wouldn't have been a success here if it weren't for you and, and Nathaniel you both uh nurtured me into leadership so well um I didn't start off with any sort of leadership gifts or teaching gifts that's for sure and there was a lot of uh trial and error and there was a lot of watch and learn and so I was very fortunate to have uh, great people to to work with and learn under and emulate when I was here. Well I would say it wasn't uh, it didn't take a lot I don't feel like like I had to drag you along you were um, I think I think we saw some things in you that maybe you didn't see there for yourself but I think that you you discovered some things and I don't know that I played a major part in that, but certainly glad for the time we crossed paths that way. Now, so tell uh, tell us a little bit about what you do currently, where you're at and what your role is. Now I am in the tiny town of Arthur, Illinois. It's actually, I should say, tiny village. Uh, it's not big enough to be called a town. Okay. I learned this recently. All right. uh, it's about 2,000 people, and I think about half of them are Amish. Uh, which I don't have much interaction with, but I see the Amish on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And I'm working at a really small Christian school in that town. Um, what got me there is a good friend from Bryan College uh, is from there, and he's the principal of the school, and I had just stayed friends with him for years. And he, uh, I had visited him several times in this town and, and really grown to appreciate and respect the, the program and the school that they had there. And uh, so he taught me into coming up and, and taking a position which was really just at a good opportunity in my life when I was looking for uh, some kind of change or new opportunity. Um, and it just was one of those, I, d- I didn't even want to go there. When he offered me the job, I said, no, I'm not interested. And then I sort of, he sent me the resume or the application mm-hmm. and I filled it out just to sort of get him off my back. And he called to do an interview. I was like, I'll do the interview, but I'm still not planning on coming. And, and all through the process, I never thought I would go up until I, they offered me the job and it was, two weeks before school started and suddenly I was like, well, maybe God just opened all these doors and I should go. And so I went 
and thought, well, I'll give it at least two years. We'll see how that goes. If I'm going to get away from my hometown, I was 30 years old. I'd only ever lived in Chattanooga except for being down the road for college. I thought, let's give it at least two years so I can say I really gave it a chance. And then if I want to, I can come back. I've been there four years now. I'm signed up for at least another year. So it's, yeah. it's going to end up being five. So it's worked well. Uh, but yeah, working in this small school where we've had between, uh, I think, 12 and 18 high school students. So really small, yeah. uh, even compared to Grace, where I, I told my students there, I said, you know, I, I came from a school where there's, I think there was 120 in high school when I graduated and everybody complained that it was too small. Yeah. <laughs> so going down to about 10% of that, I was like, yeah. you, you guys have, have maybe a legit, legitimate <laughs> complaint. But, um, and so my first several years there, it was so small. All the classes were on a video curriculum and I was almost strictly logistics and oversight and keeping track of everyone. And we've grown a little bit enough to start teaching more classes ourselves. So this past year I taught several English classes and math classes and, I think this coming year I'm actually going to get to teach a junior high Bible class, so that's exciting. Good. And then uh, also just coaching sports, which is another big draw. Yeah. Um, you and I both love basketball. Yeah. Uh, both coached for many years, and so the ability to go up there and not only just teach but continue coaching, that was a big draw for me. So you coach uh, basketball but also also soccer? I do. Uh, that was new this year. Our program uh, just started, boys and girls soccer, and and I don't know enough soccer that I could be a head coach, but I I played through junior high and I enjoyed the game, so I said I can assist. And so we got a, a soccer coach, and I assisted him. So my my school year was very busy. I went from, uh, you know, teaching the whole school year, but had boys soccer in the fall, boys basketball in the winter, girls soccer in the spring, and so I was just sports all the time. But I love sports, and so I wasn't complaining about that. Right, uh, it was a lot of fun. You and I have talked. Uh, a fair amount about how coaching for us was one of our primary ways of discipleship uh, it helped I know it helped me um, build relationships with students that I wouldn't have known otherwise and some of those uh, are relationships that that are even ongoing to this day um, is is that have you found that to be true even up at up at Arthur like talk talk kind of about those um connections there how you know how discipleship overlaps with coaching absolutely and i think i'll i'll even start by saying uh how different it was going into teaching um i'd always had a good rapport i think with with teenagers and had a great time working with them in youth ministry and coaching but when you become a teacher it's a different relationship. It's yeah. it's almost culturally uh, adversarial, you know. I mean, it's, students see the teachers as like they're they're the bad guys. Yeah. I've got to I've got to put up with them, and so the obstacle. it's not as obstacle. easy, yeah, in teaching to build these strong relationships because it just in youth ministry they want to be there for the most part if they're there. Uh, in sports they want to be there. Yeah. In teaching, it's I don't want to be here, and you're making me do things I don't want to do, yeah. and so. That made me appreciate the sports relationships that much more because, like, finally I'm getting to the aspect where you want to be here, I want to be here, and we're, we're working together finally. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the great things about sports is it gets you on a page with young people where you're doing something you both want to do, uh, which I think is very important in developing those relationships because if they don't want to be there, it's hard to develop a relationship. Yeah. That said, I think we both <laughs> see sports as uh, significantly more meaningful than just the competition and the scores that happen in an individual game. 
Uh, we see sports as teaching many life lessons, developing character, uh, how to work together with people, um, a lot of things that are hard to develop unless you have something like sports. If you put them in an area where people have to work together, they have to overcome adversity, they have to strive to improve and overcome obstacles. And so we loved, I think when we coached together, we loved the, the psychology of it and yeah. the character building of it and just saying, hey, this is how you become, you know, if we're coaching boys, this is how you become men. This is how you approach problems. This is how you be mentally tough. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I think of all the basketball things we might have taught, we were always most proud when we saw kids show high character on the court, when they showed a lot of mental toughness, and, and those things apply to so much more than just the sports. That'll They can carry that with them, uh, whatever they do in life. Yeah. I know one of the definitions that has stuck with me that I learned from you is I remember you telling our guys one time that sports is simulated adversity. And, and I just thought that was really profound, and I know I've used that a lot. Um, as an illustration for my own life and for for others as well. I don't know if you want to expound on that at all or if that kind of sums up what you've already said. Well, for sure, I think, uh, you know, in the communities that I think we've prim- primarily worked in, we worked with a lot of kids who <clears throat> come from really great backgrounds, they have great families, uh, yeah. you know, they're financially secure. They don't deal with a lot of adversity. Yeah. Um, I mean, every kid deals with adversity. I don't ever want to downplay, you know, a teenager experience, especially young people as they're figuring out the world, all of that. But sports is one of the few places that there's literally somebody trying to make you fail on the other side of it. You enter yeah. a game, somebody is trying to beat you. Yeah. That is the type of adversity they don't see very often, somebody trying to make them fail. Or, you know, we talk about shooting a basketball. Uh, you shoot 40% from three you're considered a great three-point shooter, but you're missing more shots than you make. You know, it's it's not a, uh, a high success rate. Um, you're not going to do it right every time. And so it's putting them in an opportunity to face uh, little failures, whether it's just missing a shot being a little failure or losing a game being a little failure. And uh, it's forcing them to deal with that in a way that a lot of times we're trying to protect them from in life. Yeah. You know, we don't want them to experience these failures. In sports, they're inevitable. Yeah, and so that's a it's a great way to simulate it where it's really is low consequence. If they lose the game, if they miss the shot, uh, it doesn't ruin their lives. Uh, it shouldn't ruin their lives. Right. And so it's a great way to build up a a way to react and respond to those situations yeah. when there's no nothing really at stake. Right. Um, I want to while we're on the the topic, I want to even address a little bit of what we would think of as real adversity. So you lost your mom when you were in college. Um, my dad passed away when I was, uh, we just finished eighth grade. Um, so so I think, I think there was some understanding of, we had had, even, even though we were pretty young when we were doing some coaching, we had had some adverse circumstances and experiences in life with losing loved ones and and having to um face some pretty rough patches and and answer some tough questions I think for ourselves how would you say that those kinds of circumstances um affected how you grew as a person so how you faced adversity for yourself but also how you coached and taught others to face as you, as you said, smaller adversities? 
Well, I think I would start by backing it up even a little more than that. You're right uh, that I had that adversity, you know, mm-hmm. that's a big deal, losing a parent, as you know. And, but before that, I think I sadly have to admit I can relate to not knowing how to handle little adversities because mm-hmm. I hadn't had enough of them. I mean, uh, when I graduated high school, I would have said the worst thing that I had dealt with uh, was a lack of success in basketball. But it was crushing to me mm-hmm. because... It was the most important thing in my life. It was what I wanted most, and I don't know that I handled it well. I didn't know I didn't have a frame of reference for how to handle like this was my hopes and dreams, and they didn't come true for me the way I wanted. And you know, so then, like you said, a few years later in college, I'm dealt that blow. You know, of losing a parent, and and I just remember that it put things in such a clear perspective. You know, it sort of balanced the like weighted significance of things to the point where, you know, I'd look back at my basketball career and be like, yeah, that wasn't adversity. Mm. It felt like it at the time, but it certainly wasn't. Uh, I know better now. And so I think being able to relate to the misconception of what real adversity is, being able to understand what really is more meaningful, uh, helped me between those two things to relate to kids and say, I know how this feels like it's the most important thing. And like, you're going to live and die with every little mistake but let me just tell you how it's not, and these things are nothing. And, you know, with a proper perspective, you can overcome the lesser adversities. And so I think that the, the two extremes there, you know, before knowing better and after knowing better. Um, and I always think one of the keys to relating to teenagers is being able to remember when you didn't know better yourself. Um, because if you can't, then it's hard to understand teenagers. It's easy yeah. to understand teenagers if you remember when you were and what you were like, yeah. and you can be honest about it. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, so talk to you've mentioned a couple times already your at least something of your college experience. So you you were at Bryan College, and you majored in. I majored in communication arts, which was kind of the growing uh, major at the time. I think it had the most people in it, but it was really not well-defined. And in fact, after I went through it, I was in the last group that it just stayed communication arts. And after that, you had to choose a specialty so that it made more sense. It was, you know, I think it was like political communication or public relations or, uh, you know, video editing. And I just took a smattering of all of it uh, because I didn't know, I didn't have a specialty in mind. Uh, So I graduated you know, they say it's kind of a good degree to have just to go into general things, right. and so that's what I did, but I didn't have a specialty like people most often do now with communications. Yeah. But I I recall that at least one aspect, career-wise, that you were pretty interested in one time had to do with the film industry. Uh, I guess making movies or at least writing scripts and developing screenplays and that kind of thing? It did. I think I went into college. There was a sort of film. uh, It wasn't a a major or minor, but in communications, you could study several classes on film and editing, and then you could do a semester in L.A. at a film school, uh, just sort of, you know, full, full-blown version of that. And when I went in, I thought, that's what I'll do. Okay. But I took several uh, of the video editing classes, and while I really enjoyed learning about it and have even done you know some video stuff even to this day, I'll do some stuff with our basketball team and the video uh, videos with that. 
it was it was just grueling, boring work. Mm. And when I say grueling, I mean it used to take so long to when you put in a video and you have to do what you call rendering and you make any little change and you got to render it and you wait forever for these changes to be done on the computer. It used to be a really slow process and I was like, I cannot imagine a career <laughs> in doing this. Uh, I just, it's fun, but I, I couldn't do this full time and so I really shifted my attention from that. And it wasn't until I think right after college that I thought, you know, I think the thing that really interests me about movies anyways is the story. So maybe it's writing that I like better anyways. And so mm-hmm. then I started, yeah, writing more as hobby. And at first it was, yeah, all stories and screenplays. And as I've gotten older, I, all my writings become more blogs, <laughs> which I don't know if that's a maybe sidestep. I don't know if it's a positive step. but Did you ever develop at least to any significant length, any, any um, stories that you felt like would have been, would have made good films? At the time, uh, my first year out of college, I wrote a full-length screenplay. I think it was like a 120-page script or okay. something like that. Um, now, if I look back on it, I hate it. Okay. But at the time, it was, I mean, it was a passion project. I sp- it, it was something I really worked hard at. I don't, I don't mean to you know, downplay if anybody else wrote a screenplay and, and make it sound like it went hard for them, but it wasn't one of those, I'm going to sit down in a weekend and crank out a story. I spent right. months, I outlining reworking just i remember when i finished it you know after like a couple hour session where i was really hammering home like i just felt exhausted yeah and i was like this you know i was so proud of that work um i only shared it with a couple of people and uh and yeah like i said I'll, I'll look back at it now and be like boy that's not a good story <laughs> it's it was trying so i think i was trying to do every good thing possible in one story mm-hmm. and it just made it really convoluted and bloated and and now i would write completely different but i still kind of look back on it fondly like I, that i did that yeah so um if you're if you're interested in a project i'm currently reading um the space trilogy by C.S. Lewis, mm. and it would be, of course I know nothing about filmmaking, it seems as though it would be a pretty difficult project to undertake, but I think it would make a fantastic movie. I'm sure Peter Jackson probably wants to wants to get in on it. He's, he's, he's the one who I'm sure could take it and make it what it ought to be, but I, I don't, I've not, I've only recently, I would say, gotten into reading more uh, fiction. You know, I typically read nonfiction things. You know, I'm the same. Uh, but but uh, I've enjoyed the space trilogy. I'm almost done with the second. It's obviously there are three, being a trilogy. But I'm I'm almost done with the second one. The third one is longer than the first two combined. So oh, wow. I I I uh, I'll probably still be at it uh, a while from now. But. CCS wrote before people knew how to draw out series for the most possible money. You know, if you yeah. got that much material, you <laughs> make that three books, you know, that's more coin for you. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, but anyhow, so all that to say, if, if you're just, you know, itching for some ideas, uh, I think if somebody could adapt that to the screen, there's, there's, there's some good storytelling there. Um, what are you reading now? Well, I'm not currently in any books. Uh, okay. I've got a couple of books lined up to read, um, particularly I'm, I'm 
I'm on vacation right now, just getting done with the school year, and I've got a couple books that are like, as soon as summer starts, for real for me, when I get back to Illinois, I've got these books to read, so I'm going to forget the title of one, one I know I've, I ordered and is going to be sitting on my door when I get back is by Neil Postman, and he was a professor and sort of a <clears throat> cultural uh, critic, and he wrote this the book Amusing Ourselves to Death. Yeah, I've heard um, of it which I thought was phenomenal. And last summer I read another one of his books called The End of Education, meaning like the purpose of education. Mm-hmm. And so this year I just, I honestly thought, I've enjoyed Neil Postman's book so much, I, I want to read another one. So I ordered one of his, I think, if I can remember correctly, I think it's about uh, just uh, adolescence and, and what it means in our culture and how it differs from the historical perspective. Um, so... Again, don't know much about the book. I'm really just going on the, on the author's uh, previous influence on me. And then I have a, a book of three A.W. Tozer books, and I read The Pursuit of God is mm-hmm. the first one, and then I, I keep thinking I'll go back to the next two. And uh, I think there's the one book, the sort of uh, white whale on my shelf is Nathaniel... Uh, two years ago, about for my birthday, gave me East of Eden okay, and yeah. said it was the best book he'd ever read. And I thought, that's great. I'd love to read it. But like you, I don't read a lot of fiction and it is a thick book. And so I keep thinking, I'm, I'm going to read that because Nate gave it to me and yeah. recommended it. But uh, have, I keep putting it off. So hopefully this summer I'll actually crack that one open and read through it and be able to tell Nate, hey, I, I read this book yeah. and let's talk about it. Are you more of a reader now than you have been at other times in your life? I am. Uh, certainly, you know, like a lot of people, uh, college kind of burned, well, it would probably be disingenuous to say college burned me out on reading because I probably didn't do nearly the reading I was supposed to do in college. So, <laughs> and then I got out of college and I didn't read for a while. And then, you know, kind of a typical story, a couple of years out, I start discovering books that, I come across that are topics I'm interested in, so I want to read. And once I start doing that, I start finding readings enjoyable again. And now I I tend to binge read. And by binge read, I mean I'll go uh, a couple months and not read anything. I just get busy with schedule and, Mm -hmm. and don't find the right time in my routine. And then I'll go a couple months and read a bunch of books. Um, at sort of a rapid rate and I think if I just when I get into the rhythm of it I'm very good but as soon as the rhythm breaks and I lose schedule or something happens a lot of times it'll be I'll finally hit a book that halfway through starts to drag and yeah. I'll put it down and I'm sort of a completionist I hate to just move on to another book I'm like right. I gotta get through that one but as soon as I'm not looking forward to it it just sort of stops my reading in the tracks till I come across another book that gets me excited and gets me yeah. going again I know you've talked a little bit about trying to urge some of your current high school students in the habit of reading and I guess you keep certain things on your shelf in your classroom and, and are pretty regularly recommending things to students um, I know that's a habit I've developed especially more recently of course it's just it's it seems like it's I, I'm afraid reading is becoming kind of a lost a lost art I just I it's rare to come across students who are interested in reading who are looking for things to read and and as you might expect my interest and their interest in what is what they would like to read 
don't often line up. But I but I feel like it's worth pointing out to them these are things that, that I think would be helpful for you. This would be a good discipline for you to develop. You might not have an interest in it now, but this might whet your appetite for some things. So it's the few students um, recently who are, I say students, they um, these would be, um, one of them now is even a college graduate, but young people who are asking me what should I read those are I love being able to recommend things to those folks and um, so I don't know if you're finding any more success where you're at but I know it's just it just seems like it's we're in we're in I'm, I'm probably being over dramatic here hyperbolizing but it's just like we're we're gonna we're gonna lose an entire generation of readers I'm afraid well it, yeah it, it's certainly harder to find kids who like to read and I don't think it's any secret why there's just so many more things they can do with their time and yeah. so many more things competing for their attention that are easier and quicker to consume than yeah. reading a book uh, which by the way the Neil Postman book Amusing Ourselves to Death does a great job of laying out why books are important for the development of your brain and the way you think and yeah. how he wrote this in the 80s it's even more true today how the way you consume information affects the way you think and you can see it in kids for sure um, but yeah, I love recommending books. I found though, <laughs> sometimes it's, it's better not to, cause I'll, I'll get more frustrated. It's probably not the right word. Almost like disappointed. You recommend a book to a kid, you hand it to them and they're kind of like, uh, I got to read a book for book report. I guess I'll read this. And like, well, if you go in with that <laughs> attitude, you're not going to like it. And then they write the report and you read it and you're like, this is all you got out of this book. This book is, it's a, you know. It's an embarrassment of... of it changed my of, life. Yes, <laughs> there's so much good in here. And you're like, well, he kind of talked about this. It's like, well, maybe read it again. <laughs> <laughs> Five years from now. Yeah. And then, you know, again, I try to remind myself of of how I was in high school. Oh, and, you know, yeah. honestly, I read some good books in high school. But it tends to be that the good books I read in high school, I don't even necessarily remember the content as much as remembering that they were very meaningful. Um, yeah. You know... I, I I can relate to that entirely. I mean, I I remember reading um, things like well, things like Pilgrim's Progress. Read that in high school, and and I I remember just finding it such a such a bear almost as a as a high school student. But then I read it again in my early twenties, and I it was it was like I'd read it for the first time because it just was it was so rich, and it's just I don't know if it was a I'm sure it somewhat was a comprehension thing. Obviously, the older you get, the more you're able to comprehend and, and see the actual purpose of the author in his writings. And so I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. But I do think there's a a big difference uh, between what you're obligated to consume and what you get to choose. And So I can, I can definitely relate to that. So uh, we talked a little bit about your church involvement here at Grace, tell us about your church involvement in Illinois. Where are you attending, and what's that like? I am attending uh, Atwood First Baptist, which is a small town just down the road from Arthur. And when is I is it a town or a village? It, it is. It is another little village. Okay, I guess it's you called smaller. it a town, but then you said uh, well, yeah. Because now I'm I, concerned that 
here's what happens is you just get used to calling everything a little town and then you find out well we're we've been lying all along because so as far not, as we're aware atwood is a town so we we call it the town of atwood but it's uh by definition the number of people required to make something a town does not meet that um, what what is the what do you how big does the population have to be it's uh well more than 2000 apparently um <laughs> i i know this because ironically a couple of my students started a podcast and so I was listening to it to support them. You were their inspiration and for that, I'm sure. I, I'm sure I wasn't. <laughs> but they they had a whole conversation about whether their town they live in, Arthur, is a town or village. So they Googled it while they were on their podcast, and they read the statistics and discovered it was a village. So uh, I learned something from their podcast. So wow. I, was, I was glad to have. We may or may not have inspired Stephen and Jesse to start a podcast we, last night. We gave it our best shot, so... Um, but anyway, so when I moved up there and was obviously looking for a new church, um, church, yes, that's what we're talking about. Yes. I, I visited this church because one of the, uh, one of the parents and school board members at my school went there and he just said, come, you know, we'd like to have you come visit our church. And I went there and, uh, you know, kind of right away, it, it felt like a, a good familiar kind of feeling church, like just stylistically similar to Grace, uh-huh. uh, smaller, because it's just in a smaller community. And the pastor got up and he spoke about, um, I wish I could remember exactly what the lesson was, but I remember the ironic thing was it was the same scripture and the same lesson, same point, as the last time that I spoke to the youth group here. And it was kind of like, just, hey, that's neat. You know, I just yeah. talked, this, I just did this lesson, you're doing a sermon on it. Um and then I found out he was a Temple graduate from here in Chat, you know, in Chattanooga, and, right. and I was like, "That's kind of neat. What a neat connection!" And um, it just kind of felt like that was all those things kind of came together. Like this feels familiar. Hey, here's a guy who's even from uh, went to school where I'm from, uh, doing this lesson. You know, that was the same one I had done. He did it better than I did. He's a much more veteran preacher and and had more wise things to say. But uh, it just sort of stuck. You know, I figured I might have to look around for churches for a while. Yeah, I've heard people, you know, move to new places and struggle to find a new church. And I think it was like the third week I was there, I went to that church. And once I visited there, I didn't visit anywhere else. Uh, for a while, I was just attending. Um, didn't immediately jump into any ministry. And uh, eventually, I got talked into just coming in and uh, helping out with the youth, which just kind of meant I would just come and sit in on it and just be an extra body there. Yeah. And so I did that, and uh, you know, once you start, it just you just sort of stick with it. You sort of stay there. It's it's hard to uh, develop any relationship with kids and then just leave. So um, you know, I was happy to sort of stick it out. And about a year ago, a little over a year ago, actually, we don't have a youth pastor full time at the church. Uh, we have an elder who oversees it, and he had been doing the lessons, and he works full time. You know, has a family, so mm-hmm. a lot on his plate. And he just came to me at one point, and he said, "Hey, Jeremy, would you mind doing a couple Sundays speaking? And just I could use a break. I've been really busy right now." And I said, "Sure, great." Uh, you know, he asked if I if he needed to get any material together for me. I said, "No, I I'm just starting to study Romans on my own, so maybe I'll just do so Romans as a series." Mm-hmm. And so, uh, like I said, it was a little over a year ago, and I'm still, I've got about another chapter or two to go in Romans to finish out the series. And, you know, we never set a deadline for me to stop uh, speaking, and so I've just been like, I'm just going to go until you tell me. I told him, said, anytime you want 
tell me to stop or you want to jump in and take over the lessons or we can share the lessons and he's just kind of let me go with it. So I'm not sure what's going to happen when we're done with Romans. We've talked about sitting down and, and discussing what we'll do after that. But yeah, I, I've been uh, enjoying for the past year or so going through Romans with our youth group. And our youth group there is a different, um, that is one thing that's very different about Grace. Grace, um, we have a lot of kids from a Christian background. And I feel like the, the level of depth you go into, uh, it can be a little little greater. You can um, raise the bar a little bit mm-hmm. because they've got the background. A lot of the kids at our church are from the community and their parents aren't involved in church. They're not from Christian homes. Okay. You know, they go to public schools, so they don't have the same background. And so I don't feel like I try to teach any differently because of that, but there's just an understanding of, when I reference other scriptures, even if it's like a popular Sunday school Bible study, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to explain that story because I can't just reference it and assume they're going to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And uh, but that's it's it's equally, um, you know, I'm not gonna lie and say at times it's not a little frustrating because sometimes you want to reference those things and realize, oh, they don't even get that. Now I've got to backpedal and you know right. re-explain. So when teaching, sometimes it it's a little tough, but then you remind yourself, this is great that I'm getting the opportunity to maybe present to kids who haven't uh, heard before. And in fact, I know this has been one of my longer answers. One time recently, I was having kind of a rough day and I went to that to church that night and I was teaching and I was just one of those mentalities where I was like, I really don't want to be here and doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just, for whatever reason, I think I was really tired. I think we'd been busy at school and I was just, one more thing I got to do. And when we got there, one of the other leaders pointed out to me said hey there's a girl here with with their daughter that had come to visit said she's uh i think been in foster care she's got a real rough rough background she goes i don't know if she's ever heard the gospel Hmm. and it was like it was so sobering for that to hit me like again a perspective changer like man what am i complaining about my problems and i remember just i wasn't even i didn't feel bad or guilty i suddenly got real excited Hmm. to be there i was like this is awesome. Like I, I'm going to get to share the gospel with somebody who maybe hasn't ever heard it before and might not have another opportunity. And so, um, you know, I gave my lesson, nothing had, you know, she didn't come forward or anything. And I don't think she's, she hadn't been back to church. Uh, this wasn't long ago. So I've missed half the services since then being out of town. Uh, so I don't know if she's been back, but it was just a, a real great reminder of, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the day to day and when you get caught in the day to day and, the opportunity to do something like that can become just another responsibility. And then you get reminded of what a real blessing it is to, to share to teenagers and maybe be the first person to tell someone about God. Yeah. So you have a, a, a totally different audience than you do um, at school. Yes. Yes. Cause at our Christian school, obviously it is a Christian school. There's an expectation you're going to be teaching uh, the Bible and most of our kids have been at school for a long time and most of them are from great families mm-hmm. uh, that are very, very active in church and so um, it is you know there's more of an expectation that we're we're on uh, more serious study you know there's yeah but that said uh, you know there's always challenges it's you're never safe to assume no matter how good a background they're from no matter how much they've learned it uh, a lot of times um, familiarity breeds the misconception of knowledge yeah you know kids think i've been in church and school my whole life so i've sort of mastered the bible even if they really haven't again i can relate to that being in high school and just thinking man i've been hearing this my whole life there's nothing new to hear 
And now I look back and go, I didn't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Like literally nothing. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's sometimes the challenge is not assuming they know, them not assuming they know, and just keep pushing for, yeah. you know, I want to keep presenting it. Nothing new because it is the same truth, but just keep presenting it new ways until maybe they realize they're seeing it for the first time, even though they've heard it a million. Yeah. I know in some conversations with students, um, if I ask, if I ask them um, about their Bible reading habits, and some have at least a semi-regular pattern they follow, and others, you know, will admit, well, I don't, I don't, I don't have a regular reading plan or whatever. And so normally I'll follow up with the question: Is it, is it because, or does it have anything to do with the fact that either you feel so familiar with the Bible that you don't have anything else to learn, or you feel like you don't at least? Or is it because you find the Bible so unfamiliar and like overwhelming, like I don't even know where to begin, and I don't know that it would even be helpful to read it on my own? Um, and it normally is one of those extremes or the other, I find, it, it, depending on the, the student's um, perspective or, or even background, I guess. You know, I, th- I think it, I th- it normally is one of those two things, um, which is... You know, which is interesting, and I I know at times I've gone back and forth between I've got all this figured out and I don't have any of this figured out, and I don't even know where to begin to find it. You know, so I'll just hope I come across it eventually, or hope it clears up. You know, for me eventually. So so I think that's pretty relatable. So generally, though, you. Um, so do you do your teaching at church you said on is it Sunday nights? It is Sunday nights. Okay. So in the general course of life, I guess summer break being an exception, you you are you're teaching 5 or 6 days a week in one capacity or another. Yes. So I know your um agenda I I understand there's a little bit of a different priority and and emphasis on classroom teaching than on church teaching but it but really most of our work our our lines of work are not so different in that we emphasize one of our main jobs is to teach so I do at this point in my life I do less classroom teaching I have done it in the past but but you know I'm I'm primarily focusing on things like Sunday school classes, or small group discussions, or uh, youth services, youth Bible studies, occasionally preaching even in main services. Um, but I find even a lot of my either one-on-one times with students or if I'm going to lunch with, with people, usually somehow or other teaching is involved. I, you know, we were at dinner last night and I I, that obviously wasn't anything formal, but in a way, it was. It, it it kind of was an extension of our teaching ministry that we had with those guys. It was, we didn't have a a lesson plan necessarily that we're following, but it was, as I said, at least it was at least an extension of teaching. So, why why do you think that, for yourself at least, I might answer it differently for me, but why do you think for yourself teaching has become so? Something you've given your life to. Well, I'm sure there's a a nature 
element to it where I come from a, a little bit of a line of teachers. My grandmother was a teacher. Um, my dad is a teacher. My brother was a teacher for several years. Yeah. Uh, so there's probably some sort of nature argument, but I would say nurture-wise, um, I think just being very analytical as a person, uh, kind of obsessively um, looking at my own life situations and trying to understand it, when you spend the first just over 20 years of your life as a student, as a young person, and yeah. obsessively trying to understand it and articulate it, and you get out and you feel like you do a good job of grappling with it and understanding it, and you look back and go, well, what am I doing with all this now that I now understand? And there's an empathy for kids who are going through all the things that you just experienced and grappled with yourself. And so I think there's a natural draw to want to share that information and those experiences. And so... Uh, you know, you dip your toe in it in various ways. The easiest first way for me was coaching. That's the first interaction I did with kids. And obviously all the years I spent with basketball, I wanted to share that and still be involved with that. And and so you just start finding more ways that you connect what you've done in the past. And once you do it and enjoy it, uh, it just becomes something you pursue more and more and more naturally. So, yeah, I think it just goes from, uh, again, that – what do I do with, with this experience and my sort of <laughs> my personality to obsess over whatever experience I'm having, my obsession with all of that and do I just move on and obsess about something else or do I share with what I've what I've learned and then once you start doing that you start obsessing over well how do I actually share <laughs> successfully and I think that's where you know you get into reading and reading books about how to how to disciple, how to impact, what does it mean to do all that, well if I'm going to teach it I better understand it uh, and so you start learning the subjects more and then just the more you get into it the more your your passion grows yeah yeah I, I think a lot of that is is true for me as well I would I would add for myself and I'd be interested to hear if it was the same for you but I some of the more impactful people in my life are ones who I, w- I would say somewhat um, some of it would be like formal education, so I could think of of teachers I had in a classroom, but others of it were, you could say, either leaders in the church or youth leaders or um, people just willing to spend time with me. And whether they whether they saw it as a teaching opportunity or not, I know that I view so much of their direction in my life as a form of education and a form of just benefiting from other people's wisdom and knowledge and so it was it was pretty natural I think for me to want to have the same kind of impact on other people and so that so having that modeled for me by a lot of different guys especially was something that I think has led to me trying to have the same kind of trying to pass on the same kind of influence to others yeah, and, and we obviously had some overlap with who those people right. were. And right. you're right, we had uh, just some great, great men that were, uh, I, wanted to, I was going to say put in a position to influence us, but really I think what it was is that they pursued opportunities to influence us. Yeah. And that was oftentimes what was most influential was just their desire to, to care for us. And it's funny um, that you, you, know, you say that to impact kids the same way they do and I think for me, a lot of times I am so um, message focused. And my message focus, I mean, like I love the presentation of information. I love the wording. I mm-hmm. love you know what you know what I'm saying, 
And I love quotes. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing better to me than if kids remember a quote, you know, something that I said that was meaningful. But more often than not, they don't remember anything that I right. said. <laughs> and sometimes that, like, because I'm so focused on that, that's so my emphasis and what I'm passionate about. I'm like, man, what a, what a waste. And I don't even remember a thing that I said. And then I think back to the meaningful teachers and, and leaders I had. And boy, I don't remember much of what they said. Yeah. But it doesn't make them any less meaningful to me. And I just remind myself of that, like, you know, they may not remember what I said, but hopefully maybe they remember me the same way I remember my leaders who I don't yeah. remember what they said specifically, but I remember their their care and concern. And then that reminds me that, okay, so the most important thing is not what I'm saying, although that obviously really matters, share the truth, speak the truth, and and that's important, but... You know, the showing of the care and the love and, uh, you know, showing people they're valuable because you want to invest your time in them, yep. that often means more yep. than the message itself. Yeah, that's good. So you're kind of at the beginning of your summer break. What does the rest of your summer hold for you? I will be doing things with our various sports teams. We've got some, you know, practices and some opportunities to go play uh, scrimmages at, at different schools. And so uh, that's one of those things that doesn't take up a tremendous amount of time most days, but there's a lot of days where there's a couple hours that that goes on. And so you sort of orient a lot of your summer around that. And yeah. then obviously, as I said, I want to get a lot of reading done. Uh, with a busy school year, you don't get near as much reading done as you want. So last Summer, uh, I finished my summer by doing five books in five weeks. And so I, I have this sort of idea, like, wouldn't it be great if I did that, but for more weeks this summer, you know, mm-hmm. maybe did eight books in eight weeks or something like that. Yeah. Of course, if I try to tackle East of Eden, that might be that might be the book that takes a month. So, um, yeah. and, you know, there's it's just sort of, I, I don't think ever more than this summer have I appreciated that teachers really need summers just to recover from the school year. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the past couple of summers, it's been a couple of weeks and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go back at it. And this summer, I think I'm a little more like, I'm going to need some weeks of just relaxation. Yeah. And so, um, really that's, that's sort of the main goal this summer is just recovery. You're going to be back in Chattanooga later in the summer? That's my plan. I'm not sure when now I have the past, uh, several summers come down and worked a basketball camp that they yeah. do here, the Jimmy Braddock camp. Uh, but it had been in July, about midway to later in July. And right. this year they had moved it up to June, and I didn't realize that till this trip. Uh, I see. And so in my mind, I've been going, I'll come back in July and work that camp. And now it's just two weeks away. Yeah. And uh, kind of when I'm a little busier, we're busier in June with sports stuff up there. So right. I'm not sure if I'll come back for that or if I'll just come back in July without that camp. But I'll be back in Chattanooga at some okay. point. Well, uh, when that happens, we will have to have a uh, a conversation again like this and uh, try to include Nathaniel and maybe even get Aaron in on That'd this the, as well. That would be so the dream team. It would be. So um, we'll have to allot enough time for that, uh, maybe, maybe multiple parts. But I do appreciate you taking some time. Uh, to have this conversation with me today. Anything else you f- you feel like we need to know about you before we before we let you go for a little while? No, I think that's that's probably it. Oh. I think we talked about everything that I'm involved in. <laughs> I don't have a social life to speak of, David. If that's what you're getting at, so this is it. When I come back, I I hang out with you and Nathaniel and 
it's a joy, but that's why I enjoy every time you're around. I got to make sure you're coming back, you know, soon ish. We didn't talk about you know the NBA finals or that's true or anything that's like true. that, but I guess probably by the time this gets published and listened to, that that probably will be old news anyway. So It'll be old news, and and it once you get me started talking about it, David, it's hard to get me to stop. So I understand. Well, thanks again, man. Appreciate you hanging out and chatting with me today. I appreciate you having me. I've really enjoyed the Sola Gratia podcast, so it's a privilege to be on it. Yeah. Uh, well, we we need to do a better job of incorporating some guests, so uh, I'm glad you got to be a part of it. So thanks again, man, and thanks for listening uh, to this to this episode and this uh, this interview.